Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of John. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. My friends, uh, let's pray together. Extravagant God, lavishing your love on our poverty of heart. Inspire us to give with open hands, to lose life so that we may find it again. So the world will be filled with the fragrance of your love through Jesus Christ, who offered himself for us all, we pray. Amen. So on this fifth and last Sunday of Lent, Lent being these 40 days that lead us um, to this Holy Week and to the celebration of Easter, our thoughts and our attention turns to Jesus' journey that is leading towards his suffering. He's kind of holding it in and only he seems to kind of know about it, though he's dropped hints here and there. On his journey, he makes one last stop by his friend's house. And then, with great drama, all four Gospels offer, in different varieties, with different characters, a moving story. A story of a woman who kneels at a crowded dinner table, who breaks an alabaster jar filled with priceless perfumes and oils, and dares to love Jesus in the flesh. Hands to feet, hair to skin. Each writer, gospel writer, frames the event differently. But the story at its core remains one of the most meaningful, sensual, powerful in all of the gospels. And it asks us to just pause, to enter into the room, to take notice of what is happening and wondering, how does it shape the way in which we journey? How could this feast be be a feast to our own soul in the ways in which we live? Six days before Passover, Jesus comes to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Bethany is not far from, just over the river, and he stops over at this guy's house um, just right after he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus is fresh off his resurrection, the chapter before in John. There is the fresh smell on his body, probably of death, but it's being exchanged for the smell and the sounds of a feast. And here's Jesus and Lazarus sitting next to each other. 
Lazarus may be unaware of the trade that has and is occurring. His life was saved, resurrected, began again. And in only a few days, Jesus' life will be taken. If we were sitting in this room as Lazarus sitting next to Christ, what would be going through our minds? I think we would be wondering how precious this life we have is. Once you lose something that's so precious in your life, or once it maybe suffers or struggles, you you notice how much of life is a gift. Sitting next to Jesus, Lazarus realized that his life is a pure gift given to him And it's given to all of us. And this life that Lazarus has is in, by no mistake, it comes directly from the touch, the teaching, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. It is because of this man that is sitting next to him that Lazarus goes, I have new and renewed life. I always wonder throughout the gospel stories what happened later to all these people who encountered this Christ. I wonder just how Lazarus may have lived his new life. I think that he maybe just celebrated a little bit more loudly than all the rest at the table. When he wept, I think he really wept. When he gave, I think he gave more freely because he knew what it meant to have a renewed life life. Can you think of those moments in your life we go through these small life, death, and resurrections, these cycles in our own life with our own identities through different stages in our lives? Can you name that place in you where maybe you have received in this last season some new life because of the one who is sitting next to you because of the one, this Christ who is with you, we taste this new life. And the question for Lazarus and for us is, is what are we going to do with it? How are we going to honor it? This image is so beautiful of Christ and Lazarus sitting next to each other at the same table. There, there is this resurrection, this new man. This feast is happening because of him. Maybe the food was bought before his funeral. Maybe the oil was there so that they, they knew that they were going to bury him. But it actually turned into this feast of celebration in life. And so we see this picture of resurrection that is to come. And right next to it, we see Jesus, who knows that his death and his suffering is going to come. Resurrection and death sitting at the same table. My friends, this is that like non-dual idea where you can't just separate the two. But God is always holding two things that we want to separate. He's holding them them as one or in relationship, just as Christ is in relationship with Lazarus. He's holding them together. And so if we want to just pursue new life and new things in our life, we also are going to be receiving things of suffering and deaths in our lives. They go together. 
The story goes on. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It's one sentence of what Mary did. But this action and this worship changes everything. Mary sees something in the face of Jesus because she knows him when he walks through the door. She hears something in the tone of his voice and senses something in the depths of her massive soul. She gets it. She stands and walks out of the room and grabs the most precious item she probably has in the house. A jar of pure spikenard could have been reserved for Lazarus' death or a part of her dowry or maybe saved for the death of someone close to her. It is precious and it is expensive. And she takes it from its secret storage spot and intuitively knows what it was made for. She quietly walks back into the room She sits at Jesus' feet like she had done so many times and got in trouble by her sister before. She rests at Jesus' feet, a sign of deep intimacy. She lets down her hair, which was not allowed as shocking, and the crowd would have noticed. She pours out this burial perfume, and the whole room is affected. The holy smells, sights, and sounds, the touch, the symbols are shocking, and they are courageous. The smell of the spikenard fills the room. It's it's the smell, as one writer says, between kind of the smell of mint and ginseng, and it just kind of fills the whole room, and everyone knows it. Mary's whole body enters into this moment of worship in this union with Christ, and guess what? She's inviting us and the rest of the party to join in. She's inviting us, all of who we are, to join in this act of worship. But man, she seems like the only one courageous enough to do so. We have to take on this image of Mary using her whole body to worship God. One author puts it this way. What happens between Jesus and Mary in this narrative happens between skin to skin. Mary doesn't need to use words, her yearning, her worship, her gratitude, her love to enact wholly through her body. Just as Jesus breaks bread with his disciples, Mary breaks open the jar in her hands, allowing its contents to pour freely over Jesus' feet. Just as Jesus later washes his disciples' feet to discriminate, to discriminate that radical love looks like, Mary expresses her love with a humble, physical act. Jesus, rather than shunning her intimate gesture, receives Mary's gifts into his own body with gratitude, tenderness, pleasure, and blessing. The holy sacrament Here is skin, salt, sweat, and tears. The instrument of worship is perfumed feet and unbound hair. This is not an abstract piety of the mind. It is a physical extravagance. It is not an abstract piety of the mind. It is a physical extravagance. What writer Mary Gordon calls the Sabbath of the skin. 
For far too long, we have worshiped and followed a God with our minds alone, with our words. I mean, you can feel it even in this room. Like we just, we sit and we like kind of quietly whisper words back and forth to each other. We're trying, you know. What would Mary do if she came and worshiped with us? It would be uncomfortable and beautiful. And she wouldn't be inviting all of us. All of who we are. You know, we were doing a Bible study on this passage this week, and um, someone shared that, you know, sometimes she's felt that this passage gets portrayed just kind of toward the women in the room of saying, you should marry yourself to Christ just like Mary did and and put yourself out there and be as intimate. That's not what's happening. This passage is for all people. And whether you feel uncomfortable with this type of show, with this type of intimacy, God is saying, I don't just want your mind, your words, and your thoughts. I want all of you. I want you at work. I want you in the morning. I want you when you're resting. I want all of you to come and to know me like I know you. In extravagance of our life, poured out to an extravagant God. Last, last, um, this weekend we went, we had at All Souls what was called the Immigration Lab. And it, part of it was led by our very own elder Marissa Saints, who was amazing. And another part was led by her friend Niarmo, who teaches at CU and um, uses African dance and song um, to kind of wake white boulder up a little bit and also just wake up the soul and engage us. And so it started with all of us gathering. He said, get on the bus. And he he would get all of us as close as we could. And we're all like together and we're all uncomfortable and we're all like trying to put our hands in our pockets and try to hold our own space. He starts like saying, you know, sometimes we need to learn that like even though when we're we're close, that, that that there's enough space for all of us and we can get used to kind of losing our space and being with other people. We then began to move, to dance, to sing, to sing wrong and loud and to move our whole bodies. And I could tell multiple people in the room, just the moving of the body, the singing out loud began to to weep because they just hadn't done it before. I hadn't done it in a really long time. To worship with all of who we are. Now you may not be ready to just jump out in the streets and start dancing and moving. But can you just recognize that you're walking? Your everyday, your washing of the dishes. The, the way in which you move your body all are parts of our act of worship. And so we bring our whole life, just like Mary did. If you're interested in applying this sermon at all, um, Niarmo teaches um, different dance and singing circles. There's one today from three to five at St. John Episcopal Church, and every Sunday. I would go, try it, see what it's like. And then you can get away from just hearing some guy talk to you up front to actually experiencing it in our body. Most of the time, we see our own body through the lens of shame and disgust, just like Adam and Eve did in the beginning of the fall. We see our life through that. 
Sometimes we, I often will just hide and hold it back. We see its flaws more clearly than we see its God-designed dignity and beauty. Rarely do we recognize it as a vehicle for worship, love, hospitality, and grace. Rarely do we recognize it, our bodies as a vehicle of worship which God has created for good. Amen? No, louder. Amen? 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 All right, there we go. We're getting there. The prophet Mary, she does this great prophetic act. Whatever Mary thought about, whatever she was doing, she just did it. She's a prophet in her own. When everyone else was outside the room, she steps in. Our prophet Mary is calling us to be truly present to Christ. She sees and celebrates the resurrection of her brother, both the joy and the celebration, and she holds the future suffering and death of Christ. She pours out all she has at his feet, a sacred act of presence, love, and deep wisdom, and is calling us to pay attention. This is what it looks like, I think, to follow in her ways. When we pay attention to the other's to the, when we pay attention to the others that are around us, I mean really pay attention, we follow the way of the prophet Mary. When we with grateful hearts pour out our sacrificial loves for the sake of others, we follow the way of the prophet Mary. When we sit silently in prayer at the feet of Jesus, We follow the way of the prophet Mary. When we pick up our dignified bodies, casting aside shame and move them as an act of worship, when we embrace suffering and death, when we show up to this world with hope, as Mary did at the threshold of an empty tomb, we follow the ways of the prophet Mary. I was with a friend this week and we were just talking about our life and she said something that stunned me. She said, sometimes humaning can just be hard. And I thought, yeah. It really doesn't discriminate whether you're five years old or 80 years old. Sometimes just humaning and trying to figure out how to do it can be hard. Well, the way of Mary says, in the midst of this hardship, is be courageous, be sacrificial, be loving, Be present to others and to God. Present to the silent suffering of others. Why did Mary get it and no one else did? I think she was just present to the silent suffering that Jesus had in his heart and on his face. When's the last time a friend did that for you? You didn't even know the words to share about just how it was hard in here. And someone didn't try to fix it. Someone didn't try to give you their answers. They were just present to the silent suffering that was happening in you. This is the crazy way of the prophet Mary for us all. And so the room can't really handle it like we can't handle it in our own life. And Judas speaks up. I don't know why Judas always gets, I mean, they had to pick on someone. So I think the disciples were like, let's, Sadly, disciples do the one thing that the gospel asks us not to do, which is to scapegoat someone else and turn them into the enemy. But if we're really true, Judas often symbolizes the own things that are in our own hearts. And so Jesus, Judas has a great point. 
Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Jesus answered, leave her alone. She brought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. It is so clear what the gospel is trying to paint, that that here is Mary living out of abundance. Here is Mary living with a courageous, sacrificial, loving presence to God that is with her. And here is Judas, feared and believing in scarcity. There's just not enough to go around, Jesus. I think you taught me that. Oh, and I love how Jesus steps in and shows up for Mary. Leave her alone. Sometimes when you've tamed Jesus, watch out. Because he, he kind of bites back because he wants to protect. Jesus' way is our own way. We know it. We live by it all the time. We use our rationality, our data, our facts, our, our common sense, we'll call it, as ways to blind us from our, our fear and our scarcity that is within us. We're so afraid there isn't enough in this world. We're so afraid there's not enough love for who we might really be. We're so afraid there's not enough love for other people. We're so afraid that God is too small. And so we just find ways to rationalize why we should live these small little lives. And Jesus pulls out and points out Judas' hypocrisy really quick. And he does so by saying this line, like, first stop it, Judas. Don't even start right now. And then he moves on. You will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. One of the probably the most misquoted passages in all of scripture. Often used to just say, hey, don't worry, this is why we don't have to do anything for the poor and the press. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 15, most scholars believe. Deuteronomy 15 is all about this year of Jubilee and this Sabbath year in which all debts are freed. In Deuteronomy 15, it says this, If there is any among you in need, a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted, Judas, or tight-fisted, it says, towards the needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Hear this quote. Since there will never cease to be some in poverty in need on this earth, Deuteronomy says. Since there will never cease to be those in need. I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and the needy neighbor in your land. Jesus is saying, Judas, you are living like this. The poor will always be here. And so you are always, and I will always be here in your presence. And so I'm asking you to live like Mary, like this. They're always going to be here. And so open your hands to this community, to this people, to your neighbor, and to me. Jesus is saying that the open hands to the poor and to the neighbor is a continual stance we are to always have before God. Do it with me right now. Take your hands in front of you. Grip them as hard as you can. Hold. Now open them. Grip them. Open them. 
keep them open. My friends, which way are you living your life? What posture are you presenting to God and to this world? Our fear, our scarcity, they're not being enough makes us live like this all the time. But God is calling us and Mary is showing us how to open our hands to God, to our neighbor, so that we may receive and give freely. Lent is a time to participate in the suffering, in the death that life brings, in order that we may be ready for the Easter gift of new life. We can receive it. It's a time of letting go, letting down your hair a little bit, opening your hands, being present to the suffering of those, silent suffering of those around us. Lent comes before Easter, suffering before new life. And so we travel a whole way with Christ, the sacred birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection. It is our journey as it was his. May the sacred journey of Christ be ours now and forevermore. And with open hands, may we receive his life, his death, and his resurrection as our own. Let's pray.